You guys can be seated. Our kiddos are going to head upstairs. And boom, there we go. Hey, John, will you turn my mic down just a little bit, bud? I'm getting an echo in my ears. Thanks, bud. That's good. All right, if you are sticking in the room with us, head to Hebrews, where we have been for several months now. And we are getting close. The road is winding down. But we are in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Uh, Last week, we started really the first kind of chunk of Hebrews chapter 10. (coughs) Excuse me. We made it about halfway through the chapter. This week, we've got to finish that chapter so we can move on to the Hall of Faith. All right. um, Let me say a huge, uh, huge thank you to uh, man Jeff uh, yesterday came and spent several hours mounting a TV back there for us. Um, and it has really just transformed the space, man, even just sitting here staring at y'all uh, and not having to avoid a column to catch people in the corner. Because sometimes I stare y'all down in my messages, man, where I'm like, I know it's for you, Jeff, right? And, and now I don't have to worry about a column being it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but seriously, Jeff did a great job mounting that TV, man. Thanks for doing that, Jeff. Uh, it really did kind of transform the space. And so we're glad for that. Obviously, today is Labor Day weekend or part of Labor Day weekend, and so we're missing several, but uh, that's their loss, man. Uh, Vacation, worship Jesus, you know, people make choices. Um, So, I'm just kidding. (laughs) There you go, I like it, I like it. All right. Uh, Last week as we began Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we kind of introduced the idea of uh, a a knot uh, where we were tying together orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We talked a lot about the orthodoxy side all the way through the first good bit of Hebrews, Uh, that knowledge of who Jesus is, that Jesus is greater, uh, Jesus is greater than Moses, angels, all of those things we've already talked about. Uh, But that that end of the rope gets tied to the orthopraxy side, which is the side of how do we take that, apply it to our lives, and now live in it? Uh, What's the implication of the fact that Jesus is greater uh, what does that do in our lives? How does that change how we live? Uh, and so last week, we, we saw the connecting point in the book of Hebrews, uh, where the author begins to transition from the orthodoxy to the orthopraxy, and he tied it all together with this statement. I'm going to reread it from last week, uh, just so we can kind of frame our minds around this. Uh, this came out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day or as you see the day drawing near. So that was where we were last week. It was the not tying together orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We saw the therefore since this is true, let us draw near in confidence. So because we know and understand this, here's what we do. 
This week, what we're going to begin to see is that he takes this end of the rope and he traces it all the way out to the end of his book. So we're going to pretty much stay on the orthopraxy side. Uh, he may reference some orthodoxy pieces, uh, but for the most part, we're going to stay on that practical uh, Jesus living side of things. Uh, and so this morning, uh, what he did uh, last week as he, as he did the orthopraxy side, uh, orthodoxy, I just mixed orthopraxy and orthodoxy, came up with orthopraxy. That's a good blend word. That's a new theological term. I've coined it. It's mine. No one else can use it. All right. So uh, on the orthodoxy side, he had this long rope where he expanded on a lot of this stuff, and then he brought it down to a few very succinct statements in chapter 10, 19, and the verses following that. Now what he's going to do is take the short statements of orthopraxy, and he's going to expand those into a long rope on this side. And so just like we saw last week, the short orthodoxy statements, now we get the orthopraxy. So what were the orthopraxy statements? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. Let us hold fast the confession, and let us consider how to stir one another on. Those were the three statements that he gave us. And what we're going to see through the rest of the book of Hebrews is that he takes those three statements and he expands them and he talks about them. So this morning we're going to start with the first one. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. All right. So pick up with me in our new passage this morning. Uh, look with me at verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That was super encouraging, Chris. <clears throat> Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have uh, need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but rather we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray over God's word this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word and how it teaches and instructs. And God, this morning, as we dive into the words on these pages, we ask, Father, that you would help us to just discern and understand what you have for us. God, there are a lot of things going on in our minds and our hearts. God, there are a lot of things that weigh heavy on us today. There are burdens, there are obligations, there are responsibilities. And God, I just pray that you would silence all of that in this moment. 
and allow us just to hear your voice, that still, small voice that we so desperately want to draw near to. God, let us hear it, let us apply it, and let us walk in it. God, we love you, we praise you, it's in your name that we pray, amen. Uh, When I was in high school, there were several uh, unspoken games that we played, Uh, games that um, sometimes, if you knew about them, you were in on them, if you didn't know about them, you were probably going to get punched without knowing why. Okay, so one of them, Duncan has resurrected uh, in, in our congregation uh, by doing the little circle thing below the hip. I owe every one of y'all a punch just now. You just looked at it, all right? So uh, if you don't know that game, essentially the object of the game is let people look at the circle of your finger and thumb, and as long as it's below your waist and if they look at it, you get to punch them in the arm as long as you remember to wipe it off, all right? And if you don't wipe it off, they get to punch you back, all right? That was one of the games. Uh, One of the other games was literally the unspoken game, and the only rule of the game was you could not think about it, all right? And if you thought about the game, you lost the game, and the punishment for the game was you had to say out loud, no matter where you were, I lost the game. And so in class, every once in a while, you'd be sitting there, the teacher would be teaching, and some random dude across the classroom from you would go, I lost the game. And then everyone in the class would go, I lost the game, because now we're all thinking about this game that we're not supposed to be thinking about. All right? And so that was one of the games that we played. Uh, There was another game, however, that we played in high school that was probably my least favorite. It happened more in the locker room before soccer games uh, or PE uh, than really in the hallway, per se. Uh, but it was kind of a guy game, I guess. I don't know. There were girls that played it too, but ma- mainly guys. Uh, but it was the game called Flinch. Anybody ever play Flinch? All right, sweet. So some of y'all are like, yep. Some of y'all are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. You either didn't attend public school or you weren't a guy. All right, so that's about how that works. The game Flinch was basically what it sounds like. Don't flinch, all right? And if you flinch, kind of like the circle game, you get punched. Uh, The only rules to the game were you can't physically touch someone to make them flinch. So you can walk up to them and you can, you know, buck up to them or whatever. You can pretend like you're about to hit them or trip them or whatever. Like you can do whatever you want to to try to get the other person to flinch as long as you don't touch them. And if they, oh, if they, you know, flinch, they lose. They get punched in the arm. Don't forget to wipe it off. All right? So... There were lots of these games. This morning, I want to talk about this idea of faith flinches, all right? This idea of like when we think something's about to happen and we kind of go, ooh, and we draw back in our faith in a little bit of things, all right? And so that's really where the book of Hebrews kind of takes us this morning. Uh, We saw a focal verse, and I just want to go ahead and take the focal verse, and let's put it at the forefront of what we're talking about today. And it is the very last verse of Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at that verse real quick. It says this. But we are not of those who shrink back. We don't flinch, because if we do, we will be destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This morning, we want to talk about this idea of how we get so confident in our faith that, man, we don't even flinch. All right? And so that's where we're going. Y'all ready? Let's track the orthopraxy rope. Here we go. Look back with me at verse 26. So keep in mind, uh, we are taking the knot and we are unwinding it. We're looking at the orthopraxy side. The first let us statement was this from verse 23, uh, or sorry, from uh, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith. What's another way of saying that? Let us draw near with confidence, right? Let us draw near with confidence. All right, now verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You know what makes people flinch more than anything in the physical world? When they're thinking about it. All right, when they're thinking that something's about to happen to them. That's why haunted houses are so scary. Because you have walked into a haunted house already thinking somebody's going to jump out and get me. The boogeyman's right around the corner. Jason's waiting to slay me. All right. That's what you're thinking as you walk through a haunted house. That's what's going on in your mind. And so because you've already put yourself in that frame of reference, man, here it comes. And as soon as Jason didn't even have to do anything, he just steps out from behind a corner and you scream like a girl and run. All right. That's what happens. You flinch. All right, and so literally what Paul, or not Paul, excuse me, but what the writer of Hebrews says here, he says, if we go on sinning deliberately, if we put ourselves back into a mindset of having a reason to be judged, if we live in disobedience, then man, we, 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 we can't receive the knowledge of truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but we live in a fearful expectation of judgment. Do you know why so many of us doubt and flinch in our faith so many times? It's because we're just waiting for God to judge us. And that's not the mindset that Jesus gives us. The writer of Hebrews has just laid out this beautiful picture for us of, man, approach God with confidence. Man, the veil is no longer there. The, the tabernacle has been disassembled. You don't have to approach in fear anymore. God's presence dwells with you. But sometimes we just live in this idea of like, because I've been disobedient, I'm just waiting for God to just zap me and strike me dead. And so we wake up and we live life that way. We wake up and we go, oh, I can't, I can't mess up today. Or God's going God's gonna, to, man, he's going to mess up my finances. Or, man, God's going to take something from me. Or, or I'm, my, one of my kids is going to get sick. Or all, like we just live in this fear that judgment is going to come because we, we have decided in our own minds that God is going to judge us that way. Now, I want to be clear in this. There is consequence to sin. Okay, let's, let's be clear there. We sin, there's a consequence to it. My kids in my house, they mess up, there's a consequence to them messing up. Zeke, Zeke's one of the hardest, I was telling Jeff while we were putting this thing up, actually while we were at Chick-fil-A after we put this TV up, um, I told him, I said, man, we've been having trouble with Zeke lately. Because Zeke, like, he just don't care. Um, and it doesn't matter what you do to punish him, he just doesn't care. It's like, <clears throat> he's, we've been trying to get him to eat. And so uh, that's been a long long journey for us trying to help him get to eat. The other day, he sat down to the table. We fixed him a bowl of oatmeal, which is one of his favorites. He should have just gobbled it right up and been done. We all sat down for dinner. We were all done in 20 or 30 minutes, our normal kind of dinner time slot. We're up cleaning. Zeke's still sitting there with a bowl full of oatmeal. I said, Zeke, bud, you got to eat, man. And he's like, my. I'm like, all right, well, you can't get up from the table until you eat. And so he starts looking around trying to find toys. I'm like, nope, no toys. No devices, bowl of oatmeal, put the spoon in your mouth. That's what you get to do right now. Three hours later, Zeke is still sitting at the table with nothing in front of him but a bowl of oatmeal. And I'm like, bro, just eat the oatmeal. And he's like, meh. Like, he just doesn't care. 
And I'm like, I would, I'd go crazy if somebody strapped me to a table for three hours. I'm like, how quick can I get the oatmeal down? But some of, there is consequence, excuse me, there is consequence to sin. But we shouldn't live in fear of the consequence of sin. And the only reason that we might live in that fear is because we're actually living a life of sin. Okay, so let, let's put it in the right order. If we're living a life that glorifies God, we can walk into his presence with confidence. But if we are living a life of sin, if we are living a life of disobedience, yeah, there should be a little bit of fear in us. There should be because judgment is coming. But he says, man, as long as we're living a righteous life, we shouldn't live in full expectation of judgment. The only people who live that kind of lifestyle are those who are still sinning deliberately. So how do we live a life in full confidence? How do we live a life deliberately for Christ? Step one, eliminate sin. It's pretty basic, I know. That's one of those like, duh, Christian statements. But hey, man, we got to be serious about sin in our lives. Because if we're not serious about sin, if we just keep sinning deliberately, if we allow ourselves to live in it, then every day we're going to wake up just waiting for God to swing. And every time it looks like God's going to swing, we back up even further in our faith. Oh, here comes the judgment. Oh, here it I knew it was coming. Yeah, you knew it was coming because you're living a life that doesn't glorify God. But if we will live a life that honors him, there's no reason for us to wake up every day and look at the sky and go, all right, when's it going to happen, God? That's just not fair to him. That's not the kind of God we serve. We need to live in full confidence of this thing. So he says, anyone who has set aside, this is verse 28. Uh, he says, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sacrificed? or excuse me, by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know uh, him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. In case we forget, the writer of Hebrews just very clearly says for us, guys, you can't live in this thing. He says, man, let's, let's talk about that orthodoxy side for a second. Let's reference it. So we've got this law that we were supposed to obey. And here's what would happen in that old law. If you were to sin and do something that was considered blasphemy or something that was against God's commands or rules, and you did that in the witness of two or three people, that was enough for them to put you to death. That was why uh, when Jesus is approached uh, uh, by the Pharisees and they bring a lady who was caught in adultery, they bring, him to, they bring her excuse me, to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, we're the witnesses. We saw this lady committing adultery. What are you going to do about it? And they are waiting for Jesus to implement Old Testament law. Well, we got at least one or two witnesses here. Killer. That was the Old Testament command. And so the writer of Hebrews says, hey, we all remember that law. We know how serious that was. How much more serious is it, do you think, if we continue to live in sin, spitting in the face of a holy God who has redeemed and restored us and trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ? How much more so do we deserve the punishment? He's, what he's saying to us is, guys, take sin seriously. We have to. And as long as we do, we can live in full assurance of faith. We can approach God in confidence. The writer of Romans, Paul, 
uh, says this exact same thing uh, when he is approached with a question about this idea of grace. Uh, People come to Paul and they say, hey, Paul, uh, because of this unending amount of grace that God gives us, doesn't that mean that like if I sin some more, God will give me more grace? Bless you. So doesn't that mean that, I, so if I want more grace, doesn't that mean I should sin some more over here? And the more that I sin, the more I'm going to experience God's grace? That sounds good, right? That means I get to live however I want to live, and I get more of God in the process? And Paul's response is, heaven forbid. <laughs> you cannot live a life that way. That is not walking in full assurance of faith. That's walking in stupidity is what that is. That's walking in judgment. So as we think about this idea of how do we walk in confidence, how do we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, step one, man, take sin seriously. Understand that if we are living a life that glorifies God, there is no fear. But if we are living a life in constant sin, watch out, boys. God takes that very seriously. Then he gives them a reminder of something. He reminds them that, hey, guys, it's not just about uh, sin, but sometimes it's about the external things that we face. Sometimes it's not about the internal piece of who we are, but it's about what's happening around us. Sometimes we flinch because of what other people are doing. Now, uh, Jason's a police officer. And uh, Jason has gone through a lot of training. He went through some more this summer, which was really cool. I don't know if y'all saw the news report on him, uh, and not just him, but the group that was going through that, but he got to give an interview. It was really neat to watch. But Jason's gone through a lot of training to prepare for circumstances. But uh, Jason, with all of your training, uh, if you just had to just say for a second, uh, does that training make you feel more at peace in the room or more like I'm on edge, not necessarily on edge, but I am anticipating what's about to happen and I'm ready for whatever does happen. The second one, right? So I go through training in order to learn what to anticipate and learn how to guard against it. And because of that training, I'm now prepared for whatever goes down. Now, for me, who has never been through any amount of that training, all right, um, if there was a situation that arose My first instinct, not going to lie, just being real, my first instinct is to probably run behind that wall, all right? So love y'all, I'm out, all right? And then I'm going to run upstairs, grab my kids, and we're getting out of the building. That's what's happening. Lindsay, keep up, all right? So I'm just kidding. But we're getting out of the building, all right? That's just my first instinct is flinch and run because I'm not prepared for what's happening around me, and when the external circumstances present a threat, I'm out. Peace. See ya. And so the writer of Hebrews writes these guys, and he says, hey, you've already walked through some training where you've seen the circumstances that you could face, and then he lists it out. Look with me at verse 32. He says, but recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, so after you knew who Jesus was, surrendered your life to him, and began to follow You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. You were trained, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. Uh, For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Jeff, would you be okay if someone robbed your house today? No. These people joyfully (laughs) accepted the plundering of their property because it was done to them in Jesus' name. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, 
which has a great reward. He says, man, you walked through a training of life circumstances. And for many of us, we've walked through some of those training seasons too. We've seen where life circumstances just dipped and things went crazy and it was a struggle and it was hard and we overcame. And we would say as we walked out on the other side of that, I have more trust in Jesus now than I ever had before. But then even in the midst of saying that, the next time that life circumstances pop up, guess what we do? <laughs> Let me get behind the wall. Let me flinch in my faith. Because those external circumstances can seem scary. But if we will rely on the training that God has provided us, man, we will continue in confidence. One of the reasons that I believe God takes us through difficult times is that it is a time of preparation. It is a time of training and equipping and gaining strength. One of the things I love about my faith is that God always gives me more. Sometimes it's more of good things. Sometimes it's more of bad things, and more often than not, those two things go hand in hand. The more responsibility God gives me in his kingdom, the more struggles and trials I will face. But if I will rely heavily on the things that God has already brought me through, if I will remain confident in the things that God has already said, hey, man, you've been, you've been in the spiritual weight room. You've been doing the presses, man. You're pretty buff at this point spiritually. You can handle this next step. So, Jewel Bell, I got a question for you this morning, too, my big buff brother man <laughs> y'all gotta know I, some of y'all don't know these stories about Jewel Bell Jewel used to send me videos at 4.30 in the morning of him in the weight room lifting weights and he would finish a set just to make me feel bad about the fact that I was still sleeping he would finish a set and then he would get up off of these machinery just sweating and hot and nasty and then he'd pick up his phone and he'd say something encouraging and he would bring me to God's word, and he would talk to me about getting up and following, pursuing my fitness goals and all these things. And he would send me those faithfully for, gosh, six months. I don't know, maybe a year, maybe closer to a year. Uh, I, I still have them. They're in my phone. Of just, I told him, I said, you need to patent those things. And like, I packaged that somehow and start selling that mess because uh, it was good. But Jewel Bell, my weight room buddy. All right, Jewel, <clears throat> if I walk into the weight room today, and I max out on the bench press at like, I don't know, 85 pounds. Jill's <laughs> like, shut up. All right, so I max out at like, I don't know. I, could pr- I think I could still get about 185. I think that's about where I would fall. Maybe. <laughs> all right, so, so I max out at about 185, all right? Now, let's say that I walk into the weight room day in and day out for the next six months after that. And I walk into the weight room and I sit down on the bench and I just bench press 65 pounds every time I walk into the weight room, and I only do like, I don't know, two, two sets with about 10 reps, all right? Is my max ever going to increase doing that? Definitely not. What do I have to do to increase my max? If you couldn't hear him, he said, you got to put stress on your body you got to put more on than you've ever done before. So in other words, for me to increase my max, the way that I get stronger and able to lift more weight is that I have to push myself to lift more weight. That's how God trains us spiritually. He puts us in life circumstances where it's like, man, this was hard. This was difficult. I can feel the spiritual strain in my body. 
But when we push through that and we lift the weight and we get through it, we get to the other side and we start looking in the spiritual mirror and we're like, dang, bro, I got gains. All right, we got big arms and it's great. And we're like, man, this is awesome. But then the next thing is that we walk back into the weight room the next day and Jesus goes, great job hitting 190. Now we got to go for 195. And he keeps pushing us. And to get us to 195, he's got to take us through another set of difficult circumstances. And so, man, one of the things that we can be confident in with full assurance of faith is that difficult times will come. Be confident in that. But also be confident in the fact that God has prepared you for every step of the journey. Every step of it. And so whatever you're facing today, whether it's a, a home issue, a job issue, a financial issue, a child-rearing issue, a whatever the problem might be, man, you can have confidence that God has prepared you for this moment. Will it be easy? No, it's not meant to be. Because he's preparing you for the next moment. So this moment is difficult in preparation for the next difficult moment. And man, what I love about it is, again, the longer I've been in this and the longer I've followed Jesus, it's like those difficult moments when we get through them become the highlights of my testimony. Man, God, you took me through that. And man, God, you made me strong enough. And God, I, now I'm even stronger than I've ever been before. And so as I see new problems coming, as I can look down the horizon of my life and go, all right, here, here it comes. <laughs> There's 200 <laughs> headed my way. I don't walk into that with fear anymore. I walk into that with confidence going, man, God has prepped me. God has prepared me for this moment. I'm ready to lift the weight. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not. Is it going to hurt? Probably. Am I going to be sore and maybe have some wounds afterwards? Yep, but I will come out stronger and better and able to handle more than I've ever handled before. And the good things and those bad things come together, man. And I, I can't help but talk about Zeke when I talk about these struggles. And I apologize. Y'all have to hear about Zeke all the time, but... Zeke, man, Zeke was such a huge part of our testimony in that, where I'm like, gosh, God, God made us lift some heavy weights for a long time with Zeke. Like, we bore a heavy weight. But man, because we stayed in the weight room, and because we stayed after it, and because we didn't flinch away from that, man, like, I feel like we can handle anything God sends our way, kid-related at least. I'm like, bring it on, Theo, all right? <clears throat> for those who were here during Sunday school this morning. All right, bring it on. You got nothing on me. You got nothing on Zeke, at least I'll say that. All right, so when I just feel like God has prepared us. And like, I don't know what he's preparing us for. I don't know what Zeke is preparing us. I, I know what God did to prepare us for Zeke, but Zeke wasn't the end all of that. There's more coming for us. And so it's like, man, what was Zeke preparing us for? I don't know. Maybe we're supposed to start an orphanage. Who knows? I don't know. Y'all ignore that statement. That's between me and her. All right. So, but man, I don't know where God's taking us, but I know that God is preparing us. And because he made me lift the spiritual weight of Zeke, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. Sometimes uh, he, he lists out all these things. He says, sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Verse uh, 33 um, you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That, that phrase alone baffles me. Uh, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession. And, and I want to focus on this next phrase, an abiding one. An abiding one. 
This last piece that helps us have confidence as we draw near to Christ is the concept of abiding. So we can walk through all these things that we've talked about. There's the the internal struggle. There's get serious about sin. There's recognize all these external things as just a training ground uh, and that God is strengthening us. But then there's this other side to this thing that just says, be consistent. Be consistent. Jesus uses this exact same phrasing, by the way, as he's talking to a group group of people. And he says this, he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And do you all remember what he said, the branches that don't abide in him? Do you remember what he said they were good for? To be cast off and burned. Go back to the first few verses we read. Don't stay with me. Continue to live in sin. Great. You just trampled on the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you will abide in me, if you will stay with me, if you will be consistent in your walk, man, you can walk in confidence. What does that mean to be consistent in our walk? Does that mean that we wake up every day at 6 a.m., have our quiet time with our cup of coffee, and follow our sign out there, a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus? Like, is that what we're supposed to do? Is that staying consistent in our walk with Jesus? Maybe. That's part of it. But it's more than just a daily quiet time. Consistency in our walk with Jesus is a lifestyle of servitude, it is a lifestyle of following. It is a lifestyle of every piece of me loving and living in Jesus. Now, um, our men just finished this past Wednesday night uh, walking through the five gears. The five gears, if you don't know, if you haven't been here long enough, that was a discipleship program that we created two years ago uh, to talk about holistic discipleship, how we follow Jesus with all that we are. Let me give you the 30-second rundown of the five gears in case you weren't here for that. Everyone has a central gear to their life. It's the faith gear. It's whatever we believe in. For us, it is that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the writing of his word, that it is inerrant and holy, and that we submit ourselves to it and to him. Right? So we have this faith gear, uh, and when we engage that faith gear in our life, it starts to turn. So when we study, when we pray, when we seek after God, when we follow spiritual disciplines, our faith gear begins to move. But it's not the only gear of our lives. We also have a family, and we have to lead that family. We have to love that family. We have to be a part of that family, and that gear has to spin too. Now, we can spin those two gears separately. I can have my faith over here, and I can keep my family disconnected from that over here. Or I can choose to do what God has asked me to do, and that is to take my family and allow my family to be powered by the faith gear. So as my faith influences me it also influences my family so now i become the husband and the father not that i want to be but the husband and father that god desires me to be now it's not just about my family though it's also my finances because god's word has a lot to teach me about how i spend my money so not only is it about just this faith gear but now i've got my family gear tied to it now my finances are learning how to honor god with my money and it's not just family and finances but man i've got this career i've got a field that i'm in and god has a lot to say by the way about our jobs too and how we honor god with our work and so man i got to plug my work into that and it's got to connect to my faith and it's not just about family uh finances and what did I just say family finances and field but there's also uh what am I missing fun I got the fun gear in there the fun gear man we all got what God wants you to enjoy life 
He desires you to enjoy some things. So I got to figure out how to have fun in such a way that it honors God. And I think I'm still missing one somewhere in there, fitness. So there's a fitness side of that, both mental, emotional, and physical fitness that plugs into that. And that all comes back to the central faith gear. And when I've got my faith turning correctly and all of these things connected properly to my faith, my life just functions the way that God desires my life to be. And I got to live in that. And so when we talk about this idea of a life that is abiding in Christ, it's so much more than just sitting down and having a daily quiet time. It's a life that says, God, how do I honor you with my money? God, how do I honor you with how I have fun? God, how do I honor you in my family and how I lead that well? God, how do, I, how do I do that in my job and be an employee or a business owner or a fill in the blank with whatever? How do I become a person that honors God in my field? That's abiding in Christ. That's, that's more than just I woke up at 6 a.m. and had my quiet time today. Because you can wake up at 6 a.m., read God's word, and then go to work and cuss somebody out. Let's be real about it. You probably didn't even make it to work. You did it in traffic on the way to work sinners in the hands of an angry God. All right, so we get mad, we lose our temper, we whatever, or man, we, our family falls, we can wake up, have our devotion, and then not be the parent that I'm supposed to be. It's more than just a quiet time. It's how do I attach everything that I do to who Christ is and who he's calling me to be? And if I will live that kind of life, I can walk in confidence. So just to recap, we're playing the game of spiritual flinch, and there's things coming our way. There's internal sinful struggles that we will face every single day, and the writer of Hebrews says you better not flinch in that stuff. You better follow God. You better get serious about that sin in your life and kick it to the curb, man, because the danger in not kicking it to the curb is that we fall under the judgment of God. But it's not just internal, it's external. We will face trials and we will face circumstances and we will flinch if we are not walking into it prepared. Viewing it as God desires us to view it as a training ground for the next big thing that he's bringing our way. And then it's not just about internal and external stuff, but it's also about being consistent in that we can't do that one day and then tomorrow forget all about it. We can't do it in part of our lives and not in the rest of our lives. It's the whole thing or it's nothing at all. Abide in him. He reminds the, writers, uh, the, the readers of the book of Hebrews, he reminds them that one day this is all going to come to an end as we get ready to wrap up. Verse 37, he says, uh, For yet a little while and the coming one will come, and he won't delay. There, there's coming a time where all of this ends. Just hang tight. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, if he doesn't walk in confidence, he flinches. My soul, God's soul, has no pleasure in him. And then our focus first as we wrap up today. But we're not those kind of people. We are not the kind of people who shrink back. We're not flinchers. I don't want to lead a church of people who flinch. I want to encourage you and build you up to the point that you walk in full assurance of faith, confident to walk into whatever God gives you. Because those are the kind of people who are going to change this world for God's kingdom. 
The people who flinch and run, those are the people who aren't going to get much done. Because the moment things look difficult, the moment the church doesn't look exactly like you thought it was going to look, you cut and run. The moment that life circumstances get a little difficult, instead of coming to church and sharing that as a body of believers where we should, we, we shy away and we begin to hide in our little corner and go, ah, I don't want people to know about that side of me. Man, no, I want to lead a church where people come and they say, man, let me come with full confidence because I know who God is. I know who he's called me to be, and I'm struggling right now. He's training me for something. I need y'all's help picking up the weight. Man, I, I'm pushing this weight as best I can, and I'm struggling. Come on, give me some hands. Man, I, I want to walk in a church. I want to lead a church of people who change this community and this world. And we can't do that as a bunch of flinchers. So this morning, listen to the words of the writer of Hebrews in verse 39 of chapter 10, and let this be your battle cry. But we are not those who shrink back and get destroyed. We will not be it. But we are of those who have faith and preserve our souls. We will walk by Hebrews chapter 11 will take this word and this concept of faith and it's going to give us example after example after example of people who walked in full confidence of faith. We're going to see that next week as you guys come back. We study that together and we're getting closer and closer to the end of the book of Hebrews. This morning, if you need to pray with anybody, I'm probably going to hang out on this corner over here this morning. And, um, if you uh, need to pray or talk at all, I'll be there. Um, if you just want to worship this morning, that's great too, as Duncan leads us. Um, but whatever you do, whether it's praying with me or worshiping on your own, man, ask God to help you walk in full confidence this morning. If there's a sin piece that you've just been living in, man, you need to deal with that this morning. Get that gone. Get serious about it. And if there's an external piece that you're walking through and you're not sure if you can bear the weight, pray about that. Talk to somebody this morning. Man, we always encourage y'all, don't run out of the room. Grab somebody this morning and say, hey, I need to talk to you. I'm bearing a weight and it's real heavy, all right? If there's uh, not just an internal piece, but an external piece, uh, and, and, or excuse me, not just an internal, not just an external, uh, but maybe there's also uh, just an abiding piece for you. Maybe you've been living a half faith or a faith that shies away. Maybe this morning you need to ask for confidence to abide in Christ. Whatever you need to do, handle that during this time. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the fact that we can walk in confidence of who you are and who you've called us to be. God, thank you that we serve a God who loves us and who did dismantle the tabernacle, the earthly shadow of the heavenly pieces. God, you took it all down and you replaced it with the blood of Jesus Christ that allows us to walk into your presence fully confident that you're not a God just waiting to judge us, but you are a God who has displayed great love and great compassion. And out of that, God, out of the overflow of that understanding that your sacrifice was greater, your blood is greater, your high priestly nature is greater, out of an understanding of all those things, God, let us walk in confidence. Casting off sin, hitting the spiritual weight room, God, and abiding in you. And God, as we do those things, let us just draw nearer and nearer to you, that we would experience your presence in ways we've never experienced it before. God, we love you, and we praise you for all that you're doing. 
It's in your name that we pray. Amen.